if not crazy, at least a distraction. We're called to peace, but we live with conflict. We are called to life, and yet we face death every day. We are called to glory. We are called to soar. And yet so much of life is spent among turkeys. Amen. We're called to virtue. But we live with temptation. We are called to love. And yet we deal with hatefulness and hateful behavior. We are called to joy. And yet we live with tears and brokenness. Contradictions. That if you're not careful, can drive you to distraction. And make life come for you a battle. Where every day you get up, you put on the boxing gloves. And you get ready for round number 5,500. Or however long you've been on this earth. If we're not careful. Every day we get up. We get up with this jaundiced idea or view that. This is going to be another one of those days. And so. We condition our life. For certain responses. I I read. <clears throat> Of an experiment that was done by some research scientists about behavioral science. And they had a dog that they brought into their lab. And at the sound of a certain bell, there was a treat that would fall down the chute into his cage where he was living. And it was for him to enjoy. There were no commands. There were no demands. It was just whenever that bell went off, there was a treat that automatically dispensed. And they got to studying how that over a period of time, how that dog began to respond to this sound, that when that bell would sound, they began to notice that he started salivating. He started panting, drooling, because he knew what was coming. And then one day, they decided, no more tricks, no more treats. They rang the bell, and what they noticed astonished them was that the dog started drooling, anticipating what it thought was going to be its reward for obedience. Nothing came. But the next day, when they tried it again, lo and behold, It did the same thing. It began to salivate as if there was something coming when nothing was on its way. They did this day after day after day. It was a long period of time before, I guess, the dog ever realized that nothing was coming. But it had conditioned itself for a certain response. That when the bell rang, this is what's going to happen. And so you're, you're ready for it. And life sometimes becomes that way. We become so conditioned to live life a certain way that when things happen, we, 
automatically begin to respond in a in a way of of anger adjectives to describe how or frustration or whatever i mean there's so many adjectives to describe how we often respond but and it's not always because something really that bad is coming down it's just what we think is coming down the road because we have conditioned ourselves to think of life as a battle and i i know we use that spiritual analogy and it is a battle but Life doesn't have to be lived with that battle mentality because if you get up every day trying to live for God and you get up wondering what kind of blow is going to come today, what kind of bad news am I going to, what kind of emails coming down, what am I going to face when I get to work? you automatically are putting the gloves on without even thinking about it and you're preparing yourself for whatever might happen. That's why when things happen, the first thing we do is our natural response. We lash out. If life takes a swing at at us, we just take a swing at life. If people take a swing at us, we in turn take a swing at them. So it is. When I, I, I don't know of anything I love more than to study the writings of Paul. Because of all men who lived, this man in particular seemed to have a grasp of life and how the spiritual life, uh, how, how it applies and relates to the ordinary events that happen in life. And so he begins many of his letters, if you read his letters, with a plethora of blessings. He talks about peace and benedictions of mercy and grace and joy and goodness and love and all of these wonderful attributes that ought to be a part of the Christian life that should be a part of who we are and what we represent. But you will find that soon after he begins with this benediction, more often than not, he begins to address address a problem, a human problem, a, 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 a difficulty in the church, an issue with people, or things that were going on that people had a hard time understanding and he, he reminds them, he has to stop and remind them some things that will help them in their understanding of what this all means and what it is really a part of. And so, according to Paul, uh, life is filled with a lot of obstacles. It's filled with a lot of interference. But Paul taught us through his writings, and you can begin in Romans, Corinthians. uh, it, It doesn't matter which book you pick up that Paul was the author of. You will find him at some point addressing these obstacles or these adversities or these conflicts in life. But the way in which he addresses them is in an unusual manner because he does not view them 
as obstacles, he views them as opportunities. He views them not as problems, but as possibilities or potentials in the life of a child of God. And if you don't believe me, go read first the, the, the book of First Thessalonians chapter 3. I mean, I, we got time. Turn there. I'll just give you two examples so that you, you don't leave here saying, well, Brother Hughes said it, but I don't know where he got that from. First Thessalonians chapter 3. Paul begins with verse 1. It says, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. Now, why would he send Timothy to establish them or, as one translator says, strengthen them and comfort them or encourage them in their faith if something was not going on in the life of these Thessalonians. And then he reveals, he said, verse number three, he said that no man should be moved by these afflictions or that no man would be moved by these troubles that are going on in your life. Now, I know I started off reminding you of love and mercy and grace, but I also realize I need to talk to you about the stuff going on in your life right now. And he said, I want to make sure that you understand what that means and what it represents and that you're not moved, that you're not disturbed, that you're not troubled by the troubles that are going on. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily when you, when we were with you, you to, we told you before that we would, we should suffer tribulation even as it came to pass and we know for this cause. When I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith. I sent to know your stability, whether you were still standing in God or you were still strong lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. What produced this fear for these Thessalonians was the, the, the understanding that if they misunderstood their troubles, if they misunderstood their problems, it would be very easy for them to give up and turn back. And God does not allow a problem to come into my life, nor does he allow trouble to come for the purpose of me being set back or for me to be put down or destroyed. It comes for a much more legitimate and worthy purpose. Look at Philippians chapter or, or, yes, Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Paul writing to this church in Philippi says in verse number 11, he said, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God 
But I would that you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me. What happened to Paul? Well, he was beaten. He was, he was threatened. He was imprisoned. I mean, you, there's a whole litany of things. If you read in the book of Ephesians, he goes through and names all the things that had happened to him in his spiritual journey and in his spiritual life. And he said, lest some of these things that you've heard uproot you and cause you trouble and you allow it to become a problem. And you're, I just want you to know I'm all right with this. I'm handling this because what has happened is that out of this trouble, out of these problems, out of this adversity, out of these obstacles has come an opportunity for the gospel to be displayed in the palace of the king. And 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 there's an open door of ministry that was not there before. So I'm not troubled about my troubles and I'm not freaked out because I've had a bad day or something bad has gone. I just understand that it's an opportunity for God to show himself. And I want you to understand that, that I'm not worried about what's going on. I don't want you to be worried either. Amen. And so he said, lest you should un- misunderstand that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all. There's not a place in the palace that doesn't know that Paul's in the house. I mean, that's an awesome thing to say. Now, I know there's probably some places that know when you're in the house or when I'm in the house, but they may not be knowing that for the right reason. But they knew that Paul was in the house. How did they? Evidently, it was in the way that he had responded because every other prisoner they had ever had had cursed and ranted and slammed himself, you know, done everything they could to have refused and rejected and denied. And, and Paul seems, he, he was chilled out, man. He was just, he, he, instead of trying to find a way out, he was trying to find somebody else to convert. Amen. How different that is to the way we usually respond to trouble. Now, I'm going to talk about myself. All right? I'm not going to talk about you right now. I'm going to talk about me. Smile. Some of you look really serious right now. I like clutter-free living. When I mean, I don't mean... I don't have any stuff in my life. I just mean I don't like a lot of stuff going on. I really do my best to avoid trouble. <laughs> like the plague. Trouble, it, it just gives me the nervous jitters. I spend so much of my time trying to live trouble-free that I wear myself out. Some of you are wore out right now, and you're not even able to pay attention to what I'm preaching because you're so busy trying to stay away from trouble. (laughs) As a matter of fact, 
If you want to ruin a day, if you want to change the mood in the house, (laughs) if you want to change your outlook on life, just let a problem pop up unexpectedly. Oh, we, we, we come unhinged. We come unglued. Our temperature rises. Our voice rises. Our, our, our face turns flush. Because we don't like trouble. We don't like problems. We like a trouble-free life. And most of us live our life in the pursuit of getting away from all the troubles we can. That's why people are in, in escape mode all the time. They're always looking for a place to go. They're, they're trying to get away from the pressures of life and the problem. And they don't know how to do that. So they feel like if they take another vacation, which might be 299 for the year, that they can go on one more trip. If they can go shopping one more time, it'll fix all their problems. Or at least it will keep them away from some of them. Let me tell you something about real happiness. True happiness doesn't come when I get away from my problems. It comes when I change my relationship to those problems. It comes when I take a different view of them. When I try to understand them in a different light. And how I react to criticism or how I react to life when it is uptight and stressed out and I make life an emergency. Everything's an emergency. It's like, you know, because you're in hysterics, everybody else is supposed to be in hysterics. All right. So what was Paul's secret to turning these contradictions into good or turning these adversities into his advantage. I believe there were several things, but I I feel like one of the things, obviously, if you read all of Paul's writings, is that no matter what happened to Paul, he had this unique ability to stay on target. He had this keen sense he was locked in navigationally locked in so that whatever happened it didn't matter how strong the winds blew he was locked in to that star he was locked in to that direction and it didn't matter if it blew him from one side of the Mediterranean to the other wherever he landed he realized that he was still In the hand of the Almighty God. He was not in the hand of fate or circumstances. He was not in the hand of trouble. But he was in the hand of a God who orders the days of his life. I think he also learned how to transform his relationship to his problems. This is where I think real happiness comes from. And I think if you read Paul, there are three things that I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to give you tonight that I really feel like if you, if you and I could just, and I, please don't misunderstand me. 
I am not suggesting in any measure that I have accomplished this. I'm just a fellow reading Paul. And it's obvious of it just like some of you are. But this is what I've learned from reading Paul. And it's obvious in what we read from Corinthians. That's just one example. But I believe there were three things that troubles uh, did for Paul. And he saw his troubles as opportunities. He saw his troubles as as a gateway. He saw the obstacles not as some some intrusion to his life, but it was, in fact, the opportunity. It was a problem that was transformed into potential. It was transformed into spiritual possibilities. And I believe these three things, if you study Paul, you'll find these three things coming out somewhere. They may not be stated in this term, but you'll find them surface somewhere in the things that he encouraged the church to do and understand and get a hold of. Number one, I believe that Paul viewed his troubles, number one, as opportunities to grow. Amen. Everybody say opportunities to grow. Come on, you need to be a little more excited than that. I'll bring Bluebell next time, but come on. Opportunities to grow. Some of you have troubles evidently right now, and you're not interested in growing. But Paul, instead of letting his troubles oppress him and depress him, and fill his mind with all of these what if and why questions that come along, And I don't understand this and life's not fair and you know the story. Paul learned to view them as opportunities for him to grow. To grow in love. To grow in faith. To become stronger in his convictions. And what he held to be true, that these problems did not weaken his faith, but they actually, he learned to take these problems into his life and embrace them and learn to move in rhythm with them rather than trying to box them and fight them and and keep them away and resist them. He learned to move with those things in his life because he realized that nothing could get to him that hadn't first come by God. So he he found a way to grow his faith, make it stronger. He found a way to find understanding in all that he was. Somewhere there is a reason for this. I wish some of you would stop right now and just look at the problems that you're dealing with in your life and say there is a reason for this. It is not random Idiotis, I don't even think that's a word, but I'm going to make one up. Idiotacy. That's exactly what we, 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 we make life this, oh, I don't know how to even describe it. It's, it, it's ridiculous and intelligent as we are. We say we believe God and yet when it comes to us fleshing out what we believe, we act like 
when problems come our way, that this is the worst day of our life. Instead of Paul viewing it, this is, he said, man, this is an opportunity for me to grow. This is an opportunity for me to learn something more about God, how he operates, what his reasons for. This is an opportunity for my faith to be strengthened. This is an opportunity for my love to be deepened. How many of you told your spouse you loved them when you first got married? None of you? Thank you, thank you. This is not a trick question. You want to try that again? How many of you told your spouse that you loved them before you you married them? Now I'm going to ask you a question. Did you really understand at that moment what all that really was going to mean in a lifetime? No idea. That's exactly right. But you know what? The troubles in your life, they can drive you apart. And it does a lot of people. That's why divorce is so high in America and in our world. 50% of marriages do not make it. You know why? Because that love that they started with somehow doesn't ever grow into what they were saying it was. Because the truth is, I told my wife I loved her a lot of time, but it's taken 42 years of living together to really know what real love is. And you know how that's happened? We've had to live through a lot of hard times. We've had to live through a lot of adversity. If you don't think life's tough, just have to live with the preacher all the time. Next time you get up complaining, just think, well, what if I had to live with Brother Hughes? Now, I could say there's a flip side to that, but I'm not going to go there today. But I'm just telling you that the only way anybody survives in life is to somehow find a way to take what they would normally be battling and fighting and trying to wrestle down. I'm going to whip this. I'm going to beat this. I'm going to get this out of my life. And instead of learning how to move with it and grow with it, they waste a lot of their troubles. That's why we keep having to repeat some of them. Because God's got a school going on whether you know it or not. And we get tested every so often, see what we've learned. And if we don't learn it, he just lets us go through it one more time. Paul said, you know what? I'm learning early on. This is something about growing. This is not about opposition. This is about opportunity. And I need to grow. 
I need to grow in my love. I need to, I thought I knew something about how to love God, but the longer you live for Him and the more things you have to live through and you find His faithfulness new every morning and you've been living for Him now for 40 or 50 years, I'm telling you, the songwriter was right. It gets sweeter as the days go by. Every day that you live with Him, He proves to you what His love means to you by the things that He does, by the generosity that He gives you. Somehow, you and I have got to take a different view of our trouble and learn how to let, let, let something grow in us during our adversity. And not a, a, a greater resentment or a greater bitterness, but let love grow deeper. Let compassions grow more genuine. I, you know what? There's a difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy, a lot, most anybody has sympathy. You feel sorry for people. I mean, it breaks your heart to see what so. But in order to have empathy, empathy implies that you're in it too, that you've already been in it. Now, I've had people that have lost children, and, and, and people come up to them and say, oh, I know how you feel. And they've got five healthy kids and never had a problem with kids in their life. I, I've, I've known people uh, that, that say to women that have tried to have children that have been unsuccessful, and, and, and I know how you feel, and they got a whole brood. They don't, they've never known what infertility was. That's sympathy. But empathy is when someone that's had to live that life, steps alongside you and say, I know what you're going through. And let me tell you how I got through it. And let me tell you how I'm getting through it. I've had to grow. I've had to let something nurture out of me, a growth that's not always easy. But it can only happen when life quits being a battle. When every morning you get up and you got to put the gloves on, we're going to war today. That's a, that's not the best way to live. I understand that we are in a spiritual warfare, but I don't believe God wants me to wake up every morning thinking that life is going to be just a knockdown drag out today. It would, it would transform life if I got up in the morning and I realized that whatever the day brings, God is, he's not going to let more come on me than I can bear to start with. And it's not going to come unless it passes by his throne. And he said, that's all right. It, it, you, you can do that or that can happen. He's not going to let anything happen to me that will destroy me. Amen. Number two, I believe that Paul learned to transform his troubles into opportunities to learn. Learn. He learned how to really trust the Lord. He learned how to walk in the dark, but not live in a darkened state. He learned how to sing in the midnight hour. Amen. He learned how to offer praises when it was so dark and not one living soul around you to encourage you to do it. 
but you lifted up your voice and you gave praise to the Lord. You prayed with stripes on your back. You prayed with shackles around your wrists and your ankles. You prayed with the stench and the filth of a prison everywhere around you, but you found a way to get through all of that stench, get your mind on the Lord, talk to God. He learned. He learned to be gracious. He learned to be humble. He learned to be patient. Yeah. We traveled almost 17 years evangelizing. And I will tell you in my 17 years of those travels, and even since then, I've been to some really interesting places. I mean really interesting places. I've been in places where I stood on the platform and I wonder what in the world am I doing here? Amen. But this is one thing I made a vow to God of when I first started. God, I don't put any criteria on where I go. I don't care if I preach in the smallest churches in our, our fellowship. I'm not looking to preach in the largest, just wherever the door opens. But, but this is something that I am requesting. Help me that I learn something everywhere I go. Believe me, I did. I learned a lot of things I wanted to do, and I learned a heap of things that I didn't want to do. But I learned, and I'm still learning. Because learning is not an ended process. It is continuing. This is continuing education for all of you that don't realize that. Amen. We're still involved in it. Nobody's made it. There's no halos. There's no wings. I know you may feel real spiritual right now. And you may feel a little uppity like you belong on a higher plane than the rest of us. But don't get too... Too, too comfortable there because there's other people going to knock you off. <laughs> yeah. If people don't, something will. It'll humble you so quickly, make your head spin, and you'll wonder, what in the world? How did that happen? You better make sure that every day you live, you wake up understanding that this is the day the Lord hath made. I didn't make it. I'm not smart enough to know what the, but the Lord made today. And so I'm going to rejoice in it. Amen. But he learned from every situation. He learned how to hold his tongue. Amen. Let the Lord fight my battle. I wonder how many times if we could just hold, if I could just hold my tongue. How many wars I would have prevented from happening in my life if I could have just learned to hold that word about 10 seconds more. Because if you think about it about that long, you'll decide it ain't worth. It's just not worth it. It's like that skunk and that, that grizzly bear. They say that it's the only animal, the skunk is the only animal that a grizzly will let eat with him. And the obvious reason 
is that he could take him out in a swipe, but it ain't worth the price he'd have to pay to do it. And you know what? The reality is that there's a lot of things in life that we just have to learn to live with. We have to learn that that doesn't determine who I am. Well, you need to take care of that, Brother Hughes. No, I don't have to take care of that. I'm going to let God take care of that. I cannot tell you how many times in pastoring that people have tried to pressure me into making decisions. They weren't necessarily the right decision, and they weren't the wisest. It was just the one they wanted me to make. And God has blessed me with a great amount of stubbornness. I'm not making a decision based on what you think or what some... I want to make a decision based on, first of all, what the Word's going to say and how is that going to affect the body. I think if more people became that conscious of the body that I could make this decision, I could do this, I could say this, but how is it going to affect the body? Maybe it will give me a moment of satisfaction. Maybe I'll be able to stand and smile and say, I told you so. But how does that damage the body that I claim that I love? Amen. Paul tried to learn from every problem, every opposition. Number three, I believe that Paul was able to transform life and change it from a battle to a dance by letting his opposition become an opportunity for awakening. Sometimes in life, life can lull us to sleep. It can lull us into this false sense of security that we've got it made. We don't have to pray. We don't have to worship. We even have to be faithful to God. I mean, I mean, let's, let's get real. Does God really count every service that I come to? Does God keep score if I don't show up? And we get, we get to this place where nobody can ask us a question without us becoming defensive. I didn't see you this weekend. Well, what are you worried about? What business is that of yours? What are you concerned? Why are you praying with me? I'm messing with somebody right now, I know. But instead of Paul allowing it to build resentment and, and, and many other things, and on the other side of, of it, instead of letting him develop a mentality like, well, I, I, I deserve this. I mean, just think about where I came from. Think about what I was before I became a Christian. Think about what I did. I killed people in the, for, for, for the sake of, of eradicating this Christian plague out of, on the, I, I did. And so he, he could have easily berated himself down and say, well, all this has happened. I, I, I deserve this. I, I, I really, I, I mean, if you just knew, it's all right. I'm cool with it. I'm good. That, that's just as bad as somebody feeling like They don't deserve something else happening. Paul 
did not allow his mind to get hung up in that trap, that negative kind of mind, that poor woe is me. Sometimes we feel like that the more woe we can make in our life, the more spiritual it makes us. And the reality is you can woe yourself into a hole and not be any more spiritual or any closer to God. And so instead of Paul letting it become something, I mean, I did it to myself. You know, what can I say? I really, I mean, I did it to myself. He refused to let that happen, but he did let it wake him up. He did let these things make him realize what really mattered, what was most important in his life, and the priorities that had to stay in his life for him to keep his balance and the things that he needed to keep in mind, no matter what happened, he learned. He it, it stirred him. It shook him. Ever so often, we need to be shaken. Ever so often, something needs to hit us so hard that it rattles our teeth. And it doesn't shake the life out of us. It shakes the life into us. It makes us sit up and say, hey, I've been taking too much for granted. I'm not praying like I used to pray. I'm not walking as close to God as I We need something that will shake us and make us realize, I need to get back in touch with the Lord. And I believe that instead of Paul battling these things and, and 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 fighting them and resenting and refusing to let them have any kind of influence on his life he embraced it and he started moving with the rhythms i don't understand it i don't even know what the song is but i'm going to learn how to move with it i'm going to learn how to live with it and i am going to let it wake me up And shake me. Realize I'm not as close to God as I thought I was. Next time you lose your cool. Instead of beating yourself up. Why don't you let it wake you up. And make you realize. You know what I need to get back on my knees. I need to read my Bible. I need to get. I need to talk to the Lord a little more. Amen. Woo. Hallelujah. Well. I want to be stirred. I want to be moved and motivated. To be reminded of what really matters and what's really important. Keeps you on your toes. Keeps you focused. And in some way it will keep you motivated to live right. Paul's attitude to me reflects that of the psalmist in 118. If you read Psalms 118, it's one of those amazing psalms. It's called a halal song. It was a song that was sung on the way to the temple. And there's a portion of it in which he makes a statement that is so like Paul. In spite of what was happening to him, in spite of what he was enduring, in spite of what circumstances may have indicated, in verse number 17, this is what he says, I shall not die but live amen every time I read that I get inspired I shall not die everybody may expect me to do it circumstances may think I'm going to cave in but I've got news for you I'm going to contradict the contradiction I am not 
going to die. It may look like I'm going down, but I'm not. I'm just going to get my breath and I'm going to come back better than before. He rose to challenge the thinking and the assertions that life was making against him in that moment. And he said, oh, no, Uh, this isn't going to get the best of me. It's going to get the best of me. Amen. Form your, so he contradicts. If you could transform your relationship to your problems and view them not as obstacles, but opportunities, I wonder how it would transform not only your life, but your family, your home. If you saw your problems as potentials, as possibilities, as pathways to passages, if you saw your worries as windows. Our problems are the best place in the world to practice keeping our hearts and minds open to God. And what you practice most is what you will become. Your life will be reflected in what you practice. Compassion, mercy, patience, kindness, humility, peace, bitterness, hatred, strife, rebellion, whatever you and I practice, that is going to become a point of interest in our life. We do need to solve problems, and I'm not here to tell you that you don't need to solve your problems. I'm not preaching about an ignorance of ignoring things, but We create many of our problems by the way we respond to our troubles and by the way we respond to our obstacles. We struggle to make life different than it is because we want to be trouble-free. But how can I learn? How can I grow? How can I be awakened is what I really need to be asking myself. So by doing what he did, this is what I believe Paul did. He took out of the hand of his enemy a tool that could have been used against him. I wish some of us could do that tonight. I wish some of us could reach out and take a weapon away from our adversary. And instead of fighting and struggling against all that's going on, Find a way to embrace it and say, God, help me grow. Help me learn. Awaken me. Stir me. Help me to be alert to what's going on. Quit trying to run away from your problems and accept them as a part of your spiritual journey. It helps make difference between whether life is a dance or a battle. And you and I get to choose which it is. Amen. I want to somehow learn how to start moving. I, I want God to help me. I'm trying. I'm, I'm preaching this because I need, I need this. Move with these things that we so often fight against and let God use them to show us His glory. Amen. Let's stand together.
since God has so generously led us in on what He is doing, we're not about to throw up our hands and walk off the job because we run into occasional hard times. Amen. Praise God. I shall live. I shall not die. You know? Amen. Some of you ought to talk to your troubles right now and tell them that right now. You're not going to get the best of me. Amen. You're not going to tear me down. Amen. I'm going to come up better than before. I'm going to come out better than I was to start with. Amen. Why don't you take somebody by the hand and let's just pray together right now. God help us. Help us to learn something along this road of life. Help us to not just learn, but grow.